Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. That's how an old English radio show that I listened to as a kid began every single week. It was called Listen With Mother, and I've loved listening to radio shows ever since, which tells you two things about me. Number one, I like to listen to the radio. Number two, as my kids like to remind me, I'm pretty old, right? <laughs> pretty old, or I'm getting old. And as I've been preparing to preach this week, the thought came to me that perhaps a better way for us to begin today would be, are you living comfortably? Then I'll begin. Are you living comfortably? Then I will begin. And at this time of year, there's nothing more that I like than to be comfortable. I like to get my slippers on, get my sweatpants on, maybe a nice sweater, sit in my favorite chair, perhaps my, have a favorite snack handy right there just by my left hand where the table is, perhaps a bowl of uncracked nuts, maybe some Trader Joe's chunky chocolate, although they ran out this year, which was devastating, or some delicious cheese straws, which people go either way on. I think it's like a love-hate thing, right? But I love cheese straws. And then I put my feet up, I reach for the various remotes, um, the gas fire remote, check. Uh, I like to reach for the mood lighting remote, check. Uh, oh, hold on. <laughs> Not yet, Caleb. <laughs> and, and of course, the streaming remote for the TV, right? Check. And what I love to watch more than anything else is a bunch of guys sliding around uncomfortably on the ice in the freezing tundra of Green Bay wearing just a thin layer of spandex and all from the comfort of my cozy living room. But we all love to be comfortable, don't we? I mean, America is the land of gadgets, gadgets and gizmos that make us comfortable that other countries would never have dreamed of, but somehow we just have the ingenuity to do it. I mean, as we just saw, why have a remote control when you can have a remote control that has a bottle opener on the side? I mean, that's just genius, right? Or why go to the effort of actually petting your oh-so-needy cat or dog when you could have the pet petter? Brilliant. We have a saying in England, only in America. Why tie yourself out eating ice cream when you could have the self-revolving ice cream cone? You just put your lung there and Lick your tongue there just to stick it out, right? Or why exhaust yourself drinking a cup of coffee when you could use the self-stirring mug? Brilliant. Stirs itself. Maybe you're fed up with cleaning your floors. Well, just a mop onesie. Just put a mop onesie on your child or grandchild or anyone's kid for that matter and just let them move around your floor, right? And then there's my personal favorite, the poop trap. Tired of scooping your dog's poop? can't afford to have someone else come to do it for you, then this is the gadget for you. Brilliant. Only in America. Yes, if there's anything America has proven since its formation, it's that we like to be as comfortable as possible. And I think the past couple of years actually have exacerbated this. They've increased this desire. I mean, if you don't want to leave the comfort of your home now, spending hours of discomfort, battling traffic and rude drivers before actually having to walk from your car to your office, heaven forbid, and make small talk with other human beings, there's now Zoom or Google Meets, right? You can now do all your work from the comfort of the couch in your living room while still wearing your slippers and sweatpants. 
And with companies now delivering everything from hardware to groceries to your favorite fast food to box office movies on demand, we have never been more comfortable. And perhaps best of all, you can even do worship services in your PJs now, right? You can do it from the comfort of your sleep number bed rather than worrying about having to get dolled up and sit next to that person who sings obnoxiously loudly, right? I mean, we have never been more comfortable. And as we come to Christmas Eve, there's something about the Christmas story that makes us feel comfortable too, or at least the hallmark version that we've come to know and love. And you know, you know what I mean? The sweet, non-crying baby Jesus, the beautiful, clean stable with cattle quietly lowing, the calm, gentle, and adoring mother and father, the beautiful angels singing sweet melodies in the heavens, the A-lists of guests who flock to meet him. But there's a problem, right? This isn't the truth of the Christmas story. However much we want to believe it, however much we sing it, no, we have sanitized it, like we sanitize anything else that we are not comfortable with. The Christmas story is actually a story about a brutally oppressed nation who've waited hundreds of years to be set free. And then there's some initially terrifying visits by supernatural beings. We have a teenage girl who gets pregnant out of wedlock, which should have resulted in her execution. We have a couple who have to leave their family home and travel to another, another town where they know very few people, if anyone. And when they get there, they're unable to find housing for a mother who's about to give birth until they're allowed to sleep in the dirt and excrement of a small section of someone's home sharing the space with, with animals that have been brought inside for the night. And their child's first bed is not a cot that they got from Babies R Us, it's a feeding trough for animals. And then they're not visited by A-list celebrities, but by some pretty unusual visitors. Back to them in a minute, okay? But before, they then have to flee to a foreign country as refugees because of the infanticide of a jealous and murderous king who puts to death all of the boys under two years age in the town that they're staying in. This is the reality of the Christmas story that we come to celebrate tonight, right? Oppression, shame, excrement, infanticide, and forced immigration. And even the folks who visit him first, the shepherds, are not people that we would typically spend our time with. As one commentator puts it, shepherds were despised in everyday life. In general, they were considered second class and untrustworthy. You see, in Christ's day, shepherds stood on the bottom rung of the Palestinian social ladder. They shared the same unenviable status as tax collectors and dung sweepers. What had once actually been a noble occupation, even held by the greatest king that Israel ever knew, King David, no longer held a prominent position. You see, as the Israelites acquired more farmland, the pasturing decreased, and shepherding became a menial vocation for the laboring class. And then in the days of the prophets, sheep herders actually came to symbolize judgment and social desolation. Even in the Mishnah, that's the Judaism's written record of the oral law, one passage describes them as incompetent. Another one says uh, no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who's fallen into a pit. And so shepherds were deprived of all their civil rights. They weren't allowed to be called as witnesses in a court of law. And if you were to buy wool, milk, or a kid from a shepherd, uh, it was, that was forbidden on the assumption that it was actually stolen property. 
So shepherds were officially labeled as sinners, a technical term for a class of despised people. Randy Alcorn writes, shepherding had not just lost its widespread appeal, it eventually forfeited its social acceptability. Some shepherds earned their poor reputations, but others became victims of a cruel stereotype. And into this social context of religious snobbery and class prejudice, God's son arrives. He enters in. And now we can see how surprising and significant that it is that God handpicked lowly, unpretentious shepherds, people who were despised. They were handpicked to be the first to hear the joyous news. It's a boy, and he's the Messiah. They get to hear it first. And this must have been really uncomfortable for the religious leaders of the day who were so conspicuously absent from the divine mailing list. And what are the next visitors to arrive? Well, although it's not in our account we just heard from Luke, we hear in Matthew's gospel that the next visitors were foreigners. Foreigners. Yes, they were wealthy, but these were star-worshipping astrologers from the Far East. And again, the religious ruling elites of Israel were snubbed for non-Jewish immigrants from another country. You see, even from birth, Christ moved among the lowly and the non-religious. It was the outcasts, the sinners, the idol worshippers, and not the self-righteous that he came to save. And his story is actually not a rags-to-riches story, if you read it all the way through, the kind that we rush to hear, you know, the, the, to the box office to hear. No, he begins and he ends his earthly life as a very poor man with no place on earth to call his home. You know, there's an old saying that was first said about newspapers back in the 19th century, that they are to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But it's become more popular in the church today, and people will say, God comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. And I think there's a great deal of truth to this, and it's true of the Christmas story. And however much we try and sanitize it and make it about sweet, tear-ductless, mute baby Jesus, when we truly let it speak to our hearts, we see the lengths that God is willing to go to win us back to him. He enters into this broken and messy world and its violence, its racism, its disease, its greed, its selfishness, its overconsumption, its immorality, and its pain. And he experiences the discomfort of it all, all of it, ultimately dying the most uncomfortable death that the Roman Empire could possibly conceive of, hanging on a cross with the weight of the world's spiritual excrement upon his shoulders, a perfect sacrifice for an imperfect world, abandoned by all he loved, even his own heavenly father, as he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was you and it was me who put him there. Now, maybe that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I, I'm guessing that because it makes me feel that way. Not me, we say. I'm a good person. I would never do that. But each day, with each action or inaction where we decide that our way, generally the more comfortable way, is better than God's way, we hammer a nail into his body. And we hang him on the cross. No one is righteous, not one, the, the Apostle Paul writes. 
I wonder how comfortable you've become. Is comfort actually the goal in your life? Is it the idol that you serve? Spending money on anything that will make your life easier. Unwilling to be uncomfortable for anyone. Will you let God's uncomfortable message of Christmas break into your comfort zone? Or will you simply be doing this? La, 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 in your mind. I didn't come to be challenged, Jonathan. Don't challenge me. Just want to have a nice, peaceful Christmas and get to that part where we do the candlelight and sing Silent Night, right? Well, the uncomfortable message of Christmas is that God enters into our mess to save us from ourselves because he loves us and we cannot do it on our own. Yes, you and I are a mess. Underneath this shiny exterior that we present to those around us, we're a mess. We are functioning alcoholics. We are those who abuse others. We are struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide. We are numbing pain with prescription pills. We are self-esteem junkies craving the adulation of others. We are addicted materialists spending more than we can earn to try and give meaning to our lives. We're masters of avoidance, never dealing with the important questions in our lives. We're power-hungry narcissists trying to control those around us. We're lust-filled voyeurs, making objects of the opposite sex. We're tight-fisted penny pinchers, unwilling to share the abundance that we've been given. Or constant consumers, never satisfied with what we have. Or isolating individualists, keeping others out so that we can be as comfortable and unpolluted as possible. And as uncomfortable as it is to admit this and to be brought face-to-face with reality, it's necessary if we're ever going to be set free. You see, God can only help those who know they cannot help themselves. God can only help those who know they cannot help themselves. There's an old Baptist uh, Christmas carol I came uh, came across this week in a devotional I was reading. It goes like this. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal decree. But of lowly birth didst thou come to earth, and in great humility. The foxes found rest, and the birds their nest, in the shade of the forest tree. But thy couch was the sod, O thou Son of God, in the deserts of Galilee. Thou camest, O Lord, with the living word that should set thy people free. But with mocking scorn and with crown of thorn, they bore thee to Calvary. When the heavens shall ring and the angels sing at thy coming to victory, let thy voice call me home, saying, yet there is room. There is room at my side for thee. I wonder, is there room in your heart for Jesus this Christmas? If you were to strip away all the things that make you comfortable at Christmas, you know, the lights and the decorations, the food and the drink, the parties, the gifts and so on, what would you have left? What would be left? Would you still have true hope? Would you still have true peace? Would you still have love and joy? This is God's heart for you this Christmas. Don't miss it and waste another year chasing the comfortable life when what you need most is to be made uncomfortable that you might truly live. This Christmas, repent and believe in him. But more than that, take up your cross and follow him. No, it's not comfortable but it's how you were meant to live. 
God says, are you living comfortably? Then I'll begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the reality of the Christmas story and how it confronts us with our need for you, that you were willing to enter into the brokenness and the mess of humanity and to come and save your people, to save your creation, Lord God. We praise you for that. We praise you as the angels praised. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that there will be salvation in this place tonight, that people will turn to you and that each one of us will know you in a deeper way as we leave this place. Make us uncomfortable, Lord God that we might be set free. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.